everybody in podcast land and also on YouTube. This is Carpool Critics. I'm James. I'm David. I'm Riley. And I'm Kirk. Whoa. 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 Thanks for joining us today, our guest Kirk. Happy to. Kirk is a musician. He's the host of the podcast Strong Songs and Triple Click, the video gaming podcast, and a former writer at Kotaku. Welcome, Kirk. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here to talk about movies. And today we're talking about Whiplash. Spoiler alert. Oh, I thought the camera was over there, but it's here. <laughs> Spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> Yeah, we got a new camera set up today. Maybe people will just like it more. So hit us up in the comments or tweet at us if you think we should just do this. If this is the way that we should just do forever now. I'd like it. But I, I'm having a real trouble not looking at you, James. That's I'll be going to try. I'm going to try to stay focused. Whew. This is nice. It feels it like is. you're all looking at me, which is <laughs> kind of nice. It's a little bit intimidating, but I'll take it. We it's are. <laughs> David, what do you rate this movie out of 10? Whiplash dares to pose the question, what is the price of greatness? While itself being only very good. 7.9. Dang, dude. Hmm. That's rude. Riley? <laughs> After Spider-Man drives him insane, Jonah Jameson reinvents himself as a psychopathic music teacher on a mission to create the most deranged jazz band the world has ever seen. And he's starting with the fundamentals. Drums. Can't wait for the sequel. 8.5 out of 10. <laughs> 8.5, pretty good. Man, uh, yeah, he's got high standards for photos, web crawlers, and drums. <laughs> Uh, Whiplash is an ensnaring drama that oh hits all the character beats, but ultimately drops <sighs> the sticks when it comes to realism. Ugh. But nonetheless, 7.8 out of 10. Oh, I think it's a good right. movie. It's great. <laughs> so I got to give my rating now? Is that how this works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. A technically brilliant, provocative portrait of an abusive relationship set in a nightmare world starring nightmare people with a, dis- <laughs> with a distorted view of jazz and music instruction that exists entirely to set up and validate an unsatisfying, wrong-headed conclusion about the pursuit of artistic excellence, five decibels out of ten. Heck oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you explain your rating system? Like, What is it. a five out of ten to you? Well, I don't rate things. We never rated games at Kotaku, and I'm actually like very strongly opposed to numerical <laughs> ratings, so I kind of, I thought about like rating it an impossible rating and taking a philosophical <laughs> stand, but then I decided it's your podcast, so I will, hey, I will we, do that. We appreciate and I'm, that. I'm just treating it as five out of ten because like, I see this movie as like a really amazingly made movie like on a technical level that totally mm. fails in some very frustrating ways in terms mm-hmm. of the writing and then specifically the jazz which <laughs> we can <laughs> we can get into on this show so only because like that's extremely my area and I was so it was hard not to become very fixated on a lot of the jazz aspects of this movie even though I think its strengths are actually like outside of that like it's a much better movie about abuse abuse I guess in a certain mm-hmm. way than it is about art or especially about jazz. So I have a lot of thoughts right. about all of that stuff that I'm, I'm I want to sh- hear sure them. We'll but into. also I want to just hold on a second. So why are you against numerical ratings? Yeah, this is a debate that we had on our podcast many times. Yeah, we tried to drop oh, numerical man. ratings tried. and our audience did not let us. Yeah, I think audiences like them and I think that they can be valuable. Like I think there's something to be said for just if you want a recommendation on something, you can go to Metacritic and it'll tell you Zelda Breath of the Wild is a good video game. Whiplash is a good <laughs> movie or whatever. Like, you know, you'll see a high rating. And it'll tell you that, generally speaking, people like this thing, which can be very useful in our current age of like content overwhelm. There's so much stuff. You just want to know what's good. You want a wire cutter for art? Fine. You can go mm. get that. And so like, I get why people value it, especially why audiences value it. As a critic, at least as a game critic, it was like, 
I just never could come up with a number to put on something. It was the worst part of any, like anytime I've done a scored review, which is pretty infrequently, it's always the worst part. Like of you write this long thing about all the like nuances of your take and like what you think of this thing and how it compares to all this other art and what you got out of it and your experience. And then at the end, you're just like, and now I have to just be like, well, it's one, it's better than this, but worse than that. I think it's bad for discourse. Like I think that Mm, in video games, at least there's so much discussion around like, well, he gave this an eight and he gave that game a seven. So he's saying this game is better than that game. And it's like, I don't know. Like one was a no. football simulator and the other one is like a Tetris <laughs> clone. Like it's yeah. like they're to- they're so different that it. But they're it, both eights. They're exactly the same quality right. of game. So it has like there's a rhetorical <laughs> problem with it because it, it like levels everything out where especially in video games, this is an issue because one video game can be like a super gameplay light narrative experience. The other can be like a really deep simulation. The games yeah. can be so many different things that trying to have a standardized review score just makes no sense. And, I'm not even yeah. I'm not even sure that we brought them back because the audience made us bring it back. I mean, for me, it was because I wanted to keep arguing with David. It's about a his fun race. thing. That's to what argue the audience about. wanted to hear yes. too. Everybody <laughs> yes. wanted to hear the arguments. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and I get for, that. Like, it's a fun thing to argue about because it gives you this like place to hang your hat at the beginning of the argument. Right. Well, I gave it a five, and you gave it a ten. So, like, let's argue about those five points and what that means. <laughs> I don't know. I just I've never I've never been a huge fan, but it's also sort of fun to give this movie a rating. Yeah, <laughs> especially I that I gave important. it the lowest rating. <laughs> that makes me. Oh man, that makes me I think me it's happy. important to not take them too seriously too, because I, yes. as as we've seen, I change my ratings constantly, and I think based on what you just said, I might lower my rating. I don't know. We'll see oh at the God. end. But we'll see. I think you should be allowed to do that. And that's actually another yeah. thing. I, we could talk about this forever. But like in video games, there's a whole thing where like game studio bonuses are based on Metacritic. Like a part of the mm. industry is built around review scores. And that to me is right. not good. And it's part yeah. of a sort of toxic, bad part of the game's industry. So it's I like also don't like that. And I don't like being a part of that system. So I always appreciated that. Oh, that's bizarre. That we Although I guess that's a, it's a little better than game sales. I mean, but sales at least mm. reflect like the money that like you're making off the game and thus the number of people you can employ and like how mm. much money goes back then to the people who made it if in bonuses like that, at least there's sort of a through line there when it's just right. critics, especially when like Metacritic has like a lot of review sites I've never heard of, or it's just sort of questionable how they even do it. Or they assign a rating to people who yeah. didn't give a score like that yeah. just feels so much more subjective that yeah. it's I don't know. It's always rubbed me the wrong way. Have you ever acutely felt that you contributed uh, to that machine where like you gave something a really glowing or really bad review and it really affected the people? I mean, not in the Metacritic way, only because most of my reviews weren't scored. But yeah, I'm there, I mean, when I've written really glowingly about a game or talked about a piece of music, you know, on Strong Songs, like people, you'll hear from the people who made it sometimes and they'll be really happy mm. that someone liked it. And that's nice. I don't think you hear as often from the people... Uh, who aren't happy that you said something critical, though I've certainly, you know, sometimes gotten the sense that people weren't happy that I said something critical. So I guess it goes both ways. I felt this one time. I wrote the script for the Linus Tech Tips review of Jibo, which was like an animatronic, like digital assistant kind of robot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then we excoriated it. And then within a year, they went out of business. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> But, you know, you just explained to people that the product wasn't good, and they probably went out of business because the product wasn't good, not because yeah. you told people it wasn't good, right? Well, but it's everything. It's like mm-hmm. capitalism is a distributed kind sure. of thing we all participate in, and I just played my role, yep. but that was just how it shook out. Mm-hmm. Like, I played my part. It was a hard it just balance. It was really weird because... 
you know, I talked to the people who were affected by that. Well, I think yeah. regardless, we don't have to feel too bad about rating this movie since it came out in 20. And Damien Chazelle is doing fine. <laughs> this movie <laughs> <Yeah>. did fine. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay, guys. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. start actually talking about it right after this message from our sponsor, Private Internet Access. PIA VPN helps you hide your true IP address so you can bypass your restrictions and censorship. And did you know, Riley, did you even know what? that you can connect up to five <laughs> devices at once? And it includes an internet kill switch beep, 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 beep. if your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily. PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, and even as a Chrome extension. So check it out at lmg.gg slash carpool PIA. I wasn't proud of that one. Yeah, it was not your the, best. Yeah, no, I've done better. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring it back, guys. Don't worry. I'm sorry, Kirk. That's, I, I accept your apology. Do Big better. I mean, I expected better, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So why don't we get started with things that we do like Wait, about this movie? We have to we have to remember what happened in it. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, Riley, tell us what happened. I wrote I... the synopsis, guys. I haven't watched it since it. 2014. Good gravy. Andrew Neiman is an ambitious young jazz drummer at the prestigious Schaefer Conservatory who is selected for the school's studio band by Terence Fletcher, an instructor known equally for his teaching talents as for his tendency to hurl chairs at people. Fletcher's harsh teaching style and Neiman's hunger for greatness spiral into obsession. Will Neiman prove to his family that music is a valid career choice, or will he run out of band-aids? We never find out, because the movie ends right at the end of a sick jazz number. Hope it turned out all right. <laughs> Jazz makes everything better, so I'm sure it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. After that, everyone was like, hey, man, nice That's to fine. see you. <laughs> I'm going to move on yeah. with my life. So you want to start with the things we like? I think so. You liked it the most, so hit us. Did I like it the most? No, Riley likes it the most. Eight, well, I gave it an 8.5, but it might go down. You okay. Know? You know what? <laughs> Someone with integrity tell us what they like. <laughs> I think I like uh, how clear the theme of this movie is, how mm. it's... It's stated. It's what's the price of greatness? What does it cost to be excellent? And it, the whole movie is about that. I think it gets distracted at a few points, but it does a really good job of posing that question. Do I like the answer it comes up with at the end? That's up for debate. What do you guys think about that? Andrew has to pay this great price to be great, and you think that he's going to give up. You think that the price is too great, but then it turns out that there is no price too great. What do you think about that? I think that I, I, was, I was taken in by the conversation the movie makes you have between you know when you start watching the movie you're kind of like all right is he going to learn at some point that there are prices too great to pay for greatness or are we just going to like watch a, a man descend into insanity and I feel like especially at the part where he kind of like takes a turn and it think and it seems like he's going to turn out all right but then he kind of just are you talking back. about the you're talking about the part where he goes and gets a day job and he's no yeah. longer drumming and yeah you're like, oh, okay. Is this gonna? Is you thought? Is he gonna end by saying no <laughs> to this whole toxic machine? But then, you know, he at the end, we all seen, we've all seen the movie. He says yes to the toxic machine. But it's like I, I don't know whether that's the movie telling us that this is okay or whether I don't think that's. What I that feel means. like it merits. Uh, we don't always explain stuff scene by scene, but I think for the our discussion, it merits just explaining what happens at the end of this movie, mm. which is actually. Totally sick and redeeming. I was kind of losing interest. I remember on my first viewing of this movie, when you, by the time you get to the part where he gets in the car accident and he just pulls himself out of his <laughs> covered in glass, grabs his sticks and runs <laughs> from the scene of the car accident to make it to the show on time, I was kind of like, I don't know. That was the point for me as well where I was like, I don't know about this. But then after he like disgraces and gets his instructor Fletcher fired, time passes. He sees Fletcher at a bar. Fletcher sees him. 
they talk for a bit. I guess they bury the hatchet. And then Fletcher invites him to play on stage because his uh, current drummer sucks. So he's like, hey, come drum for me in this competition we're doing. And then when Neiman shows up there, Fletcher's like, ha, gotcha. We're going to play a song you never played before. And instead of just walking away right then, (laughs) (laughs) Neiman like tries to stumble through it like brutally. He doesn't even play a consistent beat throughout the whole thing. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that later. And then then he does leave the stage. It's like brutal. His he's disgraced. He'll never work in this town. His career's over before it even started. That sucks. But wait a second. He turns around, he goes back to the stage, he sits down on the kit and just takes over, takes control of the whole situation, plays like he's never played before. Fletcher's furious, saying he's going to gouge his eyes out, but then he's impressed because <laughs> Neiman kind of breaks through into the greatness that Fletcher, I guess, always wanted him to ascend to. And, and then he goes, you know what? Okay, this is pretty cool. And then they just jam out until credits roll. Now this is jazz. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> what I was going to say about the when, when he doesn't know the song and he's just like floundering trying to keep up, to me, I was almost like, that doesn't sound that bad. I was like, this is kind of jazzy, to be honest, because it's just like, it's just there's no wrong notes, man. Just go jazzy. for it. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, okay, I mean, what, what would you guys have done? I would have just walked away. As soon as I know that he's fucking me over and he's going to play a song I've never played, I would have just gotten up, left, maybe come back for the next song. But like, oh, what, yeah. what if the movie ended there, though? Because the reason it's satisfying is because he comes back and he's like, fuck you, Fletcher. Oh, that's interesting. No, fuck you. Because the whole time they've had this power struggle, struggle where Fletcher is like always domineering and always yelling. And in the one time at the beginning where Neiman is like marches into his office and yells at him... He just gets yelled over top. Fletcher just yells even louder and goes, not right now, not today. He just he just read a text message he didn't want to read or something at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so he's he never gets to control the situation until now. He's got the loudest instrument on the stage. And- well, that's an interesting question because I think thematically it would be a stronger movie if he actually did walk out and that there, he just gives up and it's like, that's that. But because it's a movie and it has to give us that like, visceral release he has to go back and he has to give the big fuck you to Mm. fletcher and so does that make it a better movie or does it make it a worse movie to have that scene in it i think if he had just walked off when he knew that he was getting screwed over then it actually would have been a crappy movie Mm. he either has to totally flub it and he's ruined or he has to go fuck you and totally (laughs) slay it uh, it's either or if he just said, oh, I'm getting screwed over right now and he walked off, that would be weak. What would I be left with? No, no, certainly after the flubbing. What what do you think? <laughs> oh, man. Just, so let me let crazy. me let me weigh in here. So <laughs> Kirk, what do you think? <laughs> well, so the, the ending of this, it's like, yeah, there the the I guess the ending of this movie suggests that this pursuit of greatness has led him here and then he's broken through and achieved greatness. But to me, it left me asking so many questions. And I think that that's fine. Like, I don't think this movie needs to tell us one way or the other what it thinks or what it wants us to think, even though it certainly suggests that artistic greatness is the same as killing yourself to achieve some sort of technical excellence that you Mm. can then use in an almost like violent way to like re like to basically like abuse your abuser in public, which is Mm. a really dark thing. And I think this is a really dark movie, like from start to finish. I like that about it. I think it's also a really intimate movie. And that is something I liked about it while we're listing things we like. I think the way this movie is edited, this won the Academy Award for editing. It was, I wrote down his name. His name is Tom Cross is the editor on this and on La La Land. And he's very, very good at what he does. Cause like, 
The editing of this movie, the way that it puts the two of them together, even when they're in a crowded room, in a full rehearsal space, on a stage, you get this feeling it's so claustrophobic. It's cutting yeah. between these very tight shots of J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller, and it's going back and forth. There's a great thing during that finale where the camera is literally swinging between the drums yeah. and then um, Fletcher as he's giving these cues to the band right. as they play that that caravan performance at the end. So, like, it's really well made. It's just that I don't, as a jazz musician, so I should say, like, going into this, we've said I make strong songs, but, like, I literally was, like, I went to a really high-octane jazz high school. I studied jazz saxophone performance in college at the University of Miami, which is, like, a very oh, wow. high-level jazz school. Like, I did exactly this. Like, I was in a program well, the program was actually very different than this kind of perverse one that they depict at the Schaefer <laughs> School. But um, yeah. but I but I lived in that world. So I'm very intimately familiar with all of it. So as a result, I think I struggled with more of the particulars than mm. a lot of people probably would, which is like actually kind of on me and not the point. We can talk about some of the particulars because they're fun for me anyways to nerd out about yeah, maybe yeah. later. But just I think that thematically... You can almost read this ending as a dream, and I think some people have mm. tried to read it that way, though I do believe Damien Chazelle, writer-director, has dispelled that and been like, no, this really happened. Because it almost mm -hmm. feels like, so much of this movie feels like a dream to me. And yeah. so many of the uh, like set pieces in the movie are specific musician nightmares. Um, like, mm. you showed up to rehearsal, but you don't have your music. Or yeah. you like it's your first big day at the rehearsal, and you're going into like the top band that you've been promoted to, and you oversleep, and you have to oh run to get gosh. there on time. Or like you, <laughs> yeah. you lose your sticks, and they're going on stage. Or, you know, like it's on and on and on. And then yeah. the biggest one is at the end, where you sit down to play at a really high, prestigious like show, and you have the wrong chart. And everybody oh, else yeah. starts playing some other tune, and you're looking through your folder, and you don't know it, and you've never heard it before. And See, what a nightmare. David and I have had like high school band experiences, but we, we, I, right. you didn't study music in, in post-secondary, no, right? No, just Yeah, and school. I didn't either. Like, I was very involved in band, so I like, I relate with some of those. But, so like, sure. Well, like, you're actually at the same level as the director then. And that's actually, I think, mm -hmm. one of the problems is that yes. he had all these memories from high school mm -hmm. and he knows some of the jargon and how it works from high school band, but he actually did not go to a post-secondary music school. And that's why, mm -hmm. that's why this movie's in a weird place to, to the layman who doesn't, who's maybe just like kind of into music. Yeah. Or maybe likes consuming music but doesn't play music this is a great music movie finally uh, but then if you're a jazz musician like kirk is then it's like well this is actually not quite right <laughs> and then so who's it really for then right i guess like yeah that's very true so damien chazelle studied or he played jazz at a very intense jazz high school which like i said i attended one of those too and they can be intense a lot of this movie does feel more like the high school jazz world than the college jazz world which are very different the collegiate jazz world just isn't, at least in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience, but it isn't about like competitions and that kind of strict discipline because everyone mm. is like much older. And a lot of the top jazz bands in the country, I mean, there are postgrad guys and doctoral students who are in their 30s and 40s, like who are, you know, we like in the Miami band, I was in the top band my senior year. Our lead trumpet player had been like in the Duke Ellington big band. Like it was like they're <laughs> professionals who then yeah. go to get their doctorate and go to some of these top programs. So it isn't. They're not trying to impress anybody the it's, band at the Schaefer school looked like that it did kind have of some a, more mature students in the band. they did but it's a different vibe and like Eastman is all undergrad and maybe Schaefer is an all undergrad program so it's a little bit different
different mm-hmm. some of the university level places this is, these are all like particulars that we don't need to get into right, I right. think though that like the fact that it exists in this kind of weird non-world that's a mix of high school and college it kind of abstracts it in a way and mm. sort of makes it easier to focus on just the dynamic that they're trying to explore between these two characters and, sure. and not get as bogged down in the music. But it's hard for me only because it relies on such a distortion of so many things about jazz and jazz performance and jazz musicians to arrive at its conclusion that I right. like really struggled with it in the end. Because ah, like if you went up on, there's just so many ways that that would play out differently. And they aren't just technical quibbles. Like if you went up on stage and you didn't have a chart and you looked at the at the bass player and you're like, dude, I don't have a chart. I mean, first of all, you would have rehearsed with the band. So I guess there's just like, you would never go on stage having never rehearsed and like yeah. you would know, right? And the bass player would cover you. He'd be like, you would find a way to make it work. Like bands, when you're on stage, you make it work. Like you help the guy next to you out. There isn't this like cutthroat mentality, certainly not in a band. Yeah. Like, That's yeah, one of the you, biggest things of this movie I've seen criticized is that there's no there's no camaraderie yeah. between the people. Like they're getting abused as a group, you right. know, but they don't have each other. You see the effect of the culture that Fletcher is cultivating Definitely. on them. A lot of them are really high strung and they're really like shitty to each other rather than kind of commiserating. Yeah, I Which thought is, that was super weird. Well, it's believable in the context of his band, like the way right. that they that like abuse trickles down and he's so cruel to all of them and they're cruel to one another. And he's created this culture of like people turning on one another. That was to me was believable but in a professional setting this wasn't his student band at the jvc jazz festival at the end that was just a big band that he was directing i guess and like Mm. and when you're in a performance setting it's just any musician who's played in a band like that knows like there's a survival instinct that kicks in where you help one another out and you make it work and like the fact that he there's a lot of stuff about the drumming that i could complain about but like the fact that he just kind of went off and was like trying to fake it and no one was helping him and he's just like totally on mars with the tempo it was like it was a swing (laughs) tune it wasn't something totally crazy it had some figures that he might have missed but he could have just played time and any yeah it sounded like he was just trying to play in a completely different time signature yeah right which like they had to emphasize which gives it like like a more of this dreamlike quality where you're like, I should be doing this because I I know yeah. how to play a swing feel, but I can't and I'm totally yeah. fucking like the, up and like everything is falling apart because it's a nightmare almost. I guess he got in. I guess you could explain it by he got into his head and wanted to be too fancy or something. But I really think it's just for the audience, because if you just played in time, a lot of people watching would just be like, that seems sounds OK. Right. No, exactly. And it makes the story work which is sort of going to be the case with any movie that's about like a specific trade or craft or something you have to make it a kind of exaggerated ridiculous version of it in order to kind of make the story work and if you're focused more on the story than on the craft itself like if the story is working it's not as big of a deal if the particulars are wrong i think in this case the the fundamental question of this movie which is like how hard do you have to push yourself to achieve artistic excellence and like is there anything to the type of teacher who is like an abusive or you know right. like really aggressive really pushing teacher to get greatness out of somebody are there no more harmful words in the english language than good job than good job right it's just that because it like uh I'll talk about the Joe Jones thing in a second, I guess, because that's a crucial part of this. But oh, like, yeah. 
it relies on a false telling of one of the like formative jazz myths in order to reinforce, essentially in the end, if you take it at face value, reinforce the idea that the way to become great is to abuse yourself and push yourself until you achieve this very specific kind of technical excellence on the instrument mm-hmm. that misses actually some really important things about music and about jazz yeah, that have nothing so to do with like whether you can play steady time at 360 beats per minute. So the story there that they reference throughout the film is that uh, there's a, a famous Charlie Parker. Yes, one of the one of the. Well, there's two famous um, musicians, right. and Charlie Parker shows up to rehearsal and he, he doesn't perform well enough. So the other one, Joe Jones, throws a cymbal at his head, almost decapitating him. Yes, and and that uh, you know he goes home because he sucked that night, but then th- that motivates him to try harder, yes. and then eventually he became one of the greats. But the real in real life, so, um, I think he threw a symbol at his feet or something so like yeah, that. So yeah, let me tell the verse. This is a story that people hear. So there's a good... Charlie Parker is the musician in question, the genius in question. Papa Joe Jones was the drummer in Count Basie's band. He was a great drummer, but Charlie Parker is one of the greatest jazz musicians who ever lived. He, like, invented bebop, bebop vocabulary. Everybody, like, he was... He's amazing. Charlie Parker, great guy to listen to. Um, there's a cool book called Bird Lives that Ross Russell wrote. That's like where I'm, what I'm basing this on. But everybody hears this story. And it's that Charlie Parker grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, big jazz scene there. And I think it was like the 1920s, maybe coming up as an alto player and didn't fully understand like what jazz was. But he was a genius. I mean, he had like an incredible mind and he started learning. And I think the way I might be misremembering this, but I think the way the story goes is he learned this tune, Honeysuckle Rose, which is like a standard tune. And he learned the chord changes to Honeysuckle Rose. And he kind of thought that that was it. Like once you knew Honeysuckle Rose, that was, that was music. Cause he had like learned that and he just didn't know a whole lot. Then he goes up on stage at a jam session, which is just where, you know, the stage will be kind of open and musicians can just go up and play and you get like a chorus and you get to do your thing. And it's kind of a good way to meet people. And back then it it was like a really good way to start your career. And it was it's really high pressure. And he goes up there and he's playing and he, he starts playing Honeysuckle Rose, but they're playing some other tune. And he like doesn't even understand that he's in the wrong key. So he's kind of all over the place. <laughs> That's one version of it. I think there are other versions. But basically, he's like not playing well. Nothing makes sense. And he, yeah, he gets gonged off the stage, which is something that apparently Joe Jones would do when like a kid got up there and was just kind of sucking wind. He would like throw his cymbal on the stage and it would be like Pong! on the floor and you'd be kind of humiliated in front of everyone. Yeah. And then there is a story like Bird went to the Ozarks or something like that and practice and practice and practice and like finally figured it out and got his act together and became one of the greatest jazz musicians who ever lived. So he keeps telling the wrong version of the story, which if the movie then had somebody show up and tell the correct version of the story, which is like a much less violent and like more particular version of it, that would have been cool. There's just there was kind of no one in the movie to speak up for jazz. And it's not like the movie Mm. needed to be about that because it was so laser focused on the dynamic between these two characters. But Even in La La Land, like John Legend, isn't? have you guys seen La La Land? Have you all seen oh, yeah. that movie? Yep. So that movie also... Same director. So same director, Damien Chazelle. Um, and that movie also revolves largely around a character, a white character, I should say, with a kind of weird view of jazz, who thinks of it as this one certain thing and like thinks jazz is dying and that it needs to be saved and is very kind of conservative in this particular way. At least La La Land has the John Legend character who's kind of there being like, dude... 
we're making really good music over here. Like jazz is alive and well, you could come play in my band and like thousands of people will come see you and you'll get Mm. to play really cool improvised solos. And like the music of jazz is alive in what I'm doing, even though that movie I think still doesn't fully understand jazz. This movie didn't have that at all. So one thing that's a shame. Does anyone really understand jazz? Well, it's a shame that (laughs) yes, (laughs) lots of people. (laughs) He romanticizes it in a way that I don't always find that interesting or maybe that helpful. And I think it's just he, he just sort of misses the the point. Like there's a discussion in this movie where he's he's kind of rationalizing. It's when I think it's when they're having dinner at the at the bar and Fletcher is saying basically like this is why jazz is on life support is because there's no more greatness and because we're not pushing people hard enough. And he's basically mm-hmm. an abuser who's come up with this rationale for like pushing people as as hard as he does because he's that's like, one of my problems with the movie though yeah. is that he, there's no one who says like that that's not okay in that scene he's kind of like redeemed. He's like, I'm not going to apologize for trying to get great musicians in the world. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, I get you now. And it's you're See, excused. It's, it's, it's okay it's, now. It's hard because I, I was just going to ask, is it possible that this movie is actually trying to depict jazz wrongly as a statement about right. how insane these people get in the pursuit of success? I think but at the same time, we don't have anybody else in the movie who's like, hey, yes. this isn't jazz. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, no, just, the, it just lets you figure it out. The movie doesn't ever indicate in any way that it that it sees this view as anything uh, like it's meant to be claustrophobic. It's meant to focus on these two characters. But right. Just like you just said, like it's it never gives you the sense that it understands some deeper truth about the music. And mm. that then makes me just sort of a little suspicious of the conclusions that it draws in the end, mm. only because it, there isn't that voice. And this really is a thing. Like, there is this view of jazz as, like, the hardest kind of music that you can play, where you need to master, like, all these things in all 12 keys and be able to play this technically ridiculous, perfect thing. And that mm. is actually, like, a product of, I gotta say, like, the largely white institute of jazz, like, at all these jazz mm. universities, just like the one I went to, which, you know, is, like, there's a diverse, like, group of students going there and stuff, but largely white professors at schools, lots of money taking music that was, you know, totally in the African-American tradition, made by black Americans. Jazz is, mm. like, black American music that then has filtered into all these other kinds of music in the modern world, right. and treating it like it needs to be kind of preserved in amber as this perfect thing that can then be, like, everybody just needs to perfect this, like, style of playing drums and of playing piano <laughs> yeah. and of playing saxophone, where I think that the movie, like, it sets up this beautiful critique of that. And I'd love to see a critique of that because it's something that I struggle with all the time or I just struggle with. I like think about a lot because it was something that wasn't like a part of my jazz education is like that part of it, the cultural part of it, the historical part of it. It was so technical. It was so just like learn to play these changes and like learn to play these whatever upper structures over this chord progression. And everybody was so fixated on that because of course we were. It's like a performance university. Like that's how it works. There wasn't a lot of that historical stuff. This movie sets up this like really really like blown out version of that in this dynamic between these two characters and then totally never even goes there. It's just much more interested in, in their, uh, this abusive relationship, which is like, okay, but a little left me a little like, ah, it would have been cool if they had explored that a little bit more. I was going to ask you about the reputation of various schools. Like, is this school Schaefer Academy? Is it obviously Juilliard or could it be any school? Like, is there, what are the different reputations of schools in the U S is there, are there some that are known to be more maybe like Schaefer than others? For the audience, Schaefer is a fictional... Schaefer as an institution doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There, are, there were things in that um, 
depiction of the school that felt really true to me. Um, the feeling of, I remember, so at Miami, Witt Seidner is his, was his name. He was the director of the top band. And we were terrified of him, like when we were freshmen. And you'd be playing in your little like third, fourth, fourth down jazz band. And the director of the top band walks into your rehearsal and just sits in the oh. back. And it was very much that feeling that happens at the beginning of this, where when he walks in, everyone's like, oh shit, there's Wit. And um, you know, you're kind of like, I better not fuck up. And you hope you don't get called out or have to play a solo, but you also kind of want to stand out. So that feeling works, but that was the only time I think that the school gave me a sense of itself as a program. It was really just this one guy and this one band, which was one one thing that they could have used to explore some of these bigger questions is, as far as I know, um, Andrew didn't have a drum teacher. <laughs> like, yeah. like mm. if you're in a university, you have a private teacher who like you meet with every week who's teaching you the instrument you're playing your band director is like a big part of it you meet in big band like three times a week but there should there was somebody giving him drum lessons like actual drum technique lessons and that was completely removed from this movie and you that, mean you're not supposed to just practice in your room uh, so, right. by yourself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That so, could have been a great opportunity for a character that yes. s- speaks about the different aspects of the music and speaks about you know how Fletcher's kind of crazy and that <laughs> the other faculty don't agree with him or his methods. Right. Yeah. Because there's no one in there that's uh, in the movie that says that Fletcher's an asshole, other than the fact that he, you know, he gets uh, removed from the faculty by like I guess social workers or the law right, or there's whoever, the whoever woman, it is. That woman who turns yes. up and is like we've been wanting to get this guy but right and I should say at Miami there was a professor who was like borderline emotionally abusive who was a really intense teacher um, I had him as my freshman improv teacher he made me get really good there was this like that guy was the closest thing to some of the stuff I saw in the movie he's never physically abusive or anything close but he was an asshole and he was a hard ass and he was terrifying and it was like mm-hmm. you had to play and it he worked us super hard and we got really good and that dynamic does exist like that's a thing in in jazz schools but he was only one of many professors that I had, and he was a big influence on me freshman year. And then later I looked back and was like, oh, that guy was actually kind of a dick and like sort of sexist. I remember the line when Fletcher comes into the big band and he like makes that crack about the lead alto player. He's like, let's see if you can play in tune if you're just here because you're cute. And then she tries to play and he's like, ah, all right, that's what I thought and just walks away. Yeah. That's the kind mm-hmm. of shit this guy would have said. Like there is oh, a wow. lot of that kind of stuff in jazz programs <laughs> because jazz programs are super, super male dominated. Like that's a thing. So there was some truth, but just... The missing parts of it, the missing drum instructor, the fact that like the drumming didn't make sense, the scenes where he's trying to learn to play fast, like he's and he's just like ah, like going completely <laughs> ham on the drums. He like punches oh, through the thing. I know. I was like, what? Get a metronome, dude. Like start simple. <laughs> play chord notes on your ride cymbal. Like there is a whole set way to learn to play fast, and it isn't just like full force at yeah. the drums with every muscle clenched. You have to play really loose, and you have to start small, oh, and you man. think in halftime was- and. Yeah, that was one of the shots that really frustrated the uh, musician in me because I'm just—he just like is like. There's a moment where he's just staring at the symbol, and then he's just like, <sighs> yeah, yeah like, and he just like goes ham on it. Yeah, and it's like that's how you play drums. Like, where's your metronome, dude? Like, just start the metronome. Because like, okay, like 300 beats a minute. You can play like really, really fast, but you start just like counting. Like, if you're gonna play a really fast tune, the way that you count it is like instead of counting like one, two, three, four, one. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You kind of like mm, 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 like yeah, that, yeah. And like that's okay. Well, that's crazy fast, but like 
if we're like here, like that's like 400 beats a minute or something, you have to, it's all subdivision. I don't know. This is like stuff that drummers yeah, yeah. learn. And there was right. none of that. They're just like murdering themselves on the drums trying to play it. I'm one like, my, where's the drum professor at the school? Like that man, guy is falling down on the job. One of my favorite parts of, uh, of, of in, in theme with that is when he's watching the old, uh, his old home movies and he's like daddy watch my my paradiddle my paradiddle <laughs> yeah. does not play a paradiddle yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever he's a stupid kid yeah, yeah. he does i do think that the movie did a pretty good job of making it feel like he was playing most of what he was doing like he's Absolutely. playing hard mode and rock band and like the track is actually expert but most of the time it's pretty convincing like Agree. there's a couple extra notes but like it, it sells and i was just, i was pretty impressed actually that, Even that he's a drummer the actor is a drummer they didn't just hire him and then he learned drums, oh really as far yeah. as i know okay oh, yeah, that, yeah he was that he knew how to hold bit. the sticks and stuff he, yeah, yeah i think that a lot of that was the editing and i think that's why mm. this film probably won best editing the editing in this movie is amazing and so mm. much of it is making a drummer who's okay look like he's playing what he's playing and also like this is a really percussive movie in general and editing is all about rhythm I've like mm. become more and more obsessed with editing like I don't know anything about making movies other than like whatever I, I learned by reading books and stuff but like it's so about the rhythm right it's like the rhythm of the scene when do you make the cut when do you cut to the different angle and right. the rhythm of this movie is like wonderfully rhythmic I mean yeah. Damien Chazelle is a really talented director he's got such an mm. eye for this stuff and he clearly found a good editor to work with and that's such a an important relationship and so many of those scenes like where he's drumming it's so like it hits you physically like watching him play you can really feel it also I think that I feel like this is a beautiful looking movie it's a really gold movie I thought and it looks like mm. symbols. This movie, to me at least, so many of the scenes, yeah. it's like black shirts with like bronzed skin. I mean, they're all white guys, but they're kind of like bronze looking. And like the shots of the overhead drum sets with these like beautiful symbols. A lot of good symbol porn in this movie. I was like, ooh, a K boss for us. I kind of <laughs> want that symbol. I, I totally agree. I think on like a technical level, this movie looks incredible. I think it does a really brilliant thing where it's very golden, but it also teeters on like toxic orange. Oh, yeah, where yeah, yeah. it actually oversaturates the the warm mm. and it goes too far and so there's this like balance between like like this dream world of being a pro musician and this toxic abuse and like it teeters and like even in this the final scene when he's on stage mm -hmm. the, it, the 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 yellow the warm is just cranked just a little too much and it backs <laughs> off by the end of it when he's having his moment mm -hmm. but i think they do a brilliant job of that and like on top of that green used in a lot of places to show people that he's envious of or in his way and i really appreciate that they they do take the time to put those little details that's in. why this movie seems so dreamlike is because the entire movie takes place inside the ride symbol <laughs> it kind right of in the feels bell. that way though like it has that kind feeling of, yeah. of a right of a dream I mean that opening shot that like tracking shot down the hallway as he's playing like it, it's cool as a musician or just as a person who watches movies just to see the act of playing music rendered the way that he is renders it he has such an eye for it and I mean that's like mm. that stuff is amazing like there's really a lot just watching this movie was really fun if the movie itself is not intended to be fun at all and is like such a nightmarish, stressful feeling. But just mm. visually, it really is incredible looking. I saw, I can't remember, I think J.K. Simmons also is just amazing this movie. Of course, he oh, won an Academy Award for it, but like someone described him as like the personification of an erect penis. <laughs> <laughs> it was a film critic and I, I read this somewhere and I can't remember now but it's That's so like amazing. the vibe of like the black t-shirt and he's like super buff and just like pure <laughs> just like mm, like and veins down his head and he's yeah, so intense yeah. like yeah. really great I just will say that the characters in this movie outside of the two main characters 
are a little too shallow for me. Like or they don't. Way they, too shallow, they only yeah. serve to be. Oh yeah. Uh, to offer a character moment or like a plot point to the other characters. Like the girlfriend side mm-hmm. story felt so unnecessary to me. And like, I liked it. It exists I only it. to give him that scene where he tells us how little of a people person he is, how much he is focused on this music. And he's I think an there's asshole. so many other ways they could have done it. It's okay. He's yeah. A he's a pure asshole. asshole. <laughs> huge asshole. Screw that guy. And it's a good scene, but yeah. they spend like four or five scenes with her. And that information is the only one that we really needed was that he's not, so focused. Not exactly. Even in his first date with her, he's already being an asshole. You, it almost looks like they're not going to have a second date. Yeah. She's pretty annoyed with him, but then they kind of meet in the middle and well, find common ground. My question is why does she like him? There's, she has no reason to like him. He's. I think she probably admires maybe. his drive. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah, she like well, what we know shot. about her is that yeah. she she doesn't think that highly of herself, at least in terms of where she goes to school and stuff. So maybe she just likes dating a guy that goes to that school. It's hard though, right? Because we're like guessing at the motivations of a character yeah. who has probably like a minute and thirty seconds of screen time <laughs> in the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that they set up that she felt kind of isolated at the school. So like right. the fact that he came up and asked her out, she's like, ooh, a, a connection, well, like a, some sort of anchor. Here's my question. Would this movie be better if instead of spending that energy and time on that character, they spent that energy and time on a bandmate and that they build a relationship with like that and then they can kind of explore more of the effects of the abuse and more of the angles of how the abused are abusing each other and you can have like build a little different angles not the same not the same angle different angle whereas this is just one i feel like it serves just one point of building his character no i i I don't know because i think that the fact that we know so little about the girlfriend and and so little is spent on that in the movie enforces this idea of isolation and totally going right it's just a question of like what the movie's going to be so this was apparently a short film which i haven't seen but and i didn't realize and it was originally, I think J.K. Simmons was in it, and it was a different actor playing the drummer. And oh, really? it won a bunch of awards, and Chazelle made it as this short film. And it does have that feeling of like something that would have worked really well as a like 25-minute mm. short about yeah, just totally. like two or three of these sequences that then he blew out to a longer movie. And in some ways, it like wasn't quite as elegant. Or he was, he was filling it up in some ways, but didn't manage to fill it in quite the ways that would have made it work a little better. Because mm. I hear what mm. you're saying. It's like... There's, it's a question of like, do we want to excise any of these secondary characters at all and just yeah. make it about this dynamic that clearly the movie is most concerned with is like yeah, the right. man and the the student and like the way that they totally. abuse one another. Or do you want to have like, it doesn't maybe not just maybe give the girlfriend one more scene. Like she could have used probably one more scene. It felt very much like they had one scene together and then he broke up with her in this like really <laughs> yeah. cold, yeah. shitty way. And I was like, they could have used one scene beyond just him getting a, a text movie. from her. Yeah. Right. Like an hour 40 or something. They could have done that. Another, I, right. another scene that I simultaneously love and hate is the dinner scene with his family when yep. his like football brother and yep. his super brainy UN like representative <laughs> yeah. brother come in like oh what do you do with your life oh drumming that's nice it, was, it felt so amateurish and simple and like that's a scene yeah. we've seen like in like kids cartoons like yeah it did I, seem, it, it seemed um not sophisticated enough for no for a movie especially that, that not for like well otherwhere 2014 like it, it these days if you are in the top jazz program in the world yeah. and you just as a freshman <laughs> made it into the top even in any yeah, of yeah. these schools, any of those schools totally. I just described, if you were a freshman drummer at like New England Conservatory and you got put in the top band or at, or at Miami, you're like, yeah. yeah, I'm in concert jazz band in Miami as a freshman. Yeah. Like that's a your huge deal. Still and like, your parents you're be would, homeless. 
Yeah, your family would understand yeah. that that's a really big deal. So it was a little <laughs> yeah. hackneyed. So there's yeah. a question of like, would more of that or maybe making that stuff a little smarter have made the movie better or would it have distracted from the thing at its core? And that's totally, it, I guess it's hard to, to like try to make a movie better when it already yeah. is, you know, it like really is what it is. Like it's very, it's very defined in like what it's trying to do. So I guess the answer is remove that stuff and just make it about, <laughs> so make yeah. it the short film again, I guess. Yeah. Is the yeah. answer. I, didn't, I didn't know it was a short film and that makes actually sense. makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense because I feel like with a short film, you might forgive those kind of like unrealistic elements because it's so short. You're just like, all right, we're telling a focus story. We don't have time for supporting characters mm-hmm. because I think the thing that makes this seem kind of unrealistic is how focused in we are on just these two people. We don't see the surrounding right. universe. And uh, yeah, I think that probably worked a lot better for the short film. It is. There are some good insults in this movie, I want to say. Oh, man. I wrote down the one is, <laughs> the one is and this is a horrible insult, but it's it's the kind of thing that you would hear on Veep. Like it was Veep level, like, you know, um, or uh, in the thick of it level or the thick of it level was limp dick sound. What was it? Like limp dick sound note. Flatter than their girlfriend's flexible tempo dipshits. <laughs> I wonder uh, if he ad libbed a lot so of that. Or, or no, what? I actually found out. The only line he ad libbed was like, uh, I wrote it down, but it was very simple. It was like pretentious limp dick or something. Like it wasn't anything crazy. Everything else was scripted out for him. I gotta My say, dipshit. Thing- I just like dipshit as an insult. Like, oh, it's great. It's, a great. it's got a great, like speaking of music stuff, like just dipshit <laughs> has a great sound yeah. to it. Like as, as the ending of a, like the punctuation oh, of, a, yeah. of a riff. There is a kind of almost percussive element to how he totally. insults people. It's got people that sibilance in, in the middle there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have dip a question shit. for you guys. Sure. I felt a little bit weird watching this movie because at parts, I kind of wanted J.K. Simmons in my life. I want someone in my life to push me that hard, and like, hmm. you want to push me that hard, I actually have or just like to this. push you a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> maybe like, not push you that I, my, hard. My question is, what's the line? Because I think most people want that. They want someone to get the best out of them. Obviously, they don't want this level of toxic abuse. But what's the line? What's the line of acceptable? pushing and where does it cross into abuse i actually think it depends on who you are because i actually have someone like this in my life and uh, i i think that this is actually part of, the part of the question and, and why i why i took issue with the fact that he kind of seems to be redeemed when he's explaining his philosophy and there's no one there to say uh, that his philosophy is garbage is because if you're not the type of person who's going to respond to this then it doesn't make you stronger you right. just actually you become fragile and like so there's the question of, you know, everyone in this band, the people who resonate with this teaching style, or they're going to become great. And if they don't, they'll just become mediocre or whatever. And, you know, they weren't going to be great anyway. Well, maybe it's the case that with a different teacher, these people would be great. And it's, mm. there's just different ways to get greatness out of people. I think if human behavior is a spectrum from being really nice to being a complete asshole, <laughs> Fletcher is fully on the, on the asshole side. And I think that uh, clearly... I think that would work in a, in certain scenarios. You kind of like burn off all the chaff and then the good stuff's left. I think that can work, but at what cost? I think that so, uh, an approach somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, and maybe more towards asshole, but like you're nice sometimes. I, <laughs> it makes I, it a little I don't even want to say it's a continuum <laughs> because I, I'm saying it's multidimensional. Like some of that chaff would have been great stuff if it was nurtured differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that if you're fully on the asshole side, <laughs> on the asshole spectrum, Capitalize asshole, capitalize spectrum. Sure, uh, you get <laughs> you get the you get only the best. Like they might, I don't know if you'll if you'll uh, get a better drummer by being 
an asshole mm-hmm, who's but like, nice. Well, so then you, it gets into the question of like, what does it mean for someone to be the best drummer? Because that is also a like a question. kind of a rigid outlook, especially when it comes to jazz, which is what makes it so interesting that this movie is about jazz. That like right. drum and bugle core um, is much more like in the military tradition of music. And that's where a lot of the discipline comes in. And there are like section leaders and squad leaders and you're marching and you're playing and people get really hardcore, like in drum lines and drum corps. You only get in if you kill a man. Right, right. You have to murder somebody for this whole initiation, right? <laughs> With but, your sticks. <laughs> but the, um, and there's so much precision required. Like if you're in a drum line, you have to play exactly perfectly the exact same as the first snare if you're the third snare and every snare drum player has to match it. Perfect. Mm, um, what mm. the movie Drumline, actually. That's a really fun movie. And that, <laughs> that movie actually has like a way more nuanced take on music. And it has a lot of really cool Drumline sequences. Whiplash. It's but not like, as good of a movie what as Drumline. Well, it didn't win any Academy Awards, but it's still a good uh, movie. In some ways, it's a better music movie. It's just maybe a better music movie than Whiplash. I would sure. say that. But um, it, that's like where a lot of discipline comes in. But in jazz, and I don't want to like imply that jazz is like a looser or undisciplined music because that's not the case. But... You can't grind jazz out of people. Like you can't mm. grind that kind of improvisational freedom and like the spirit of the music out of people. Like that doesn't totally. work. And I've been in so many programs and I've taught jazz programs and like the way that the thing that works is you make people want to be great. That's always been the most motivating thing to me. And hierarchy is really good for that. And playing tests are really good for that. And seeing the top band. I did a, an interview on Strong Songs with my high school band director last year. And we talked oh. about this some, like about how our program was set up. There were like four big bands. You came in as a freshman. You didn't know what you were doing. You would go to that first jazz concert in the fall and you'd see the top band play and be like, holy shit, like, I could be in that band like I could play I could be first alto in the top mm-hmm. band like I am going to practice for my face off until I can do that. Yeah, and, like, and that's something kind of missing from this movie uh, that made it less believable to me. Again, it's like, how is Fletcher allowed to exist in this world? <laughs> uh, one reason might be because he's getting awesome results, but we don't get to see any of that. They don't really reference that he has been the uh, progenitor of greats until they talk about Casey. Right. Uh, later on, you never see like, why do you want to be in this program? We, we understand that it, I guess it's an exclusive program, but we don't know like he's produced these awesome musicians or they mm-hmm. win lots of competitions or X, Y, Z. It's never really, it's all just implied. There is a line. I think that that's an interesting question, David, the, the question of like pushing versus incentivizing because there is there has to be some pushing and like I said I had this professor who was like a real hard ass but he was also he was funny and he was really charming and like when you did well you felt awesome and he never I mean he never mm. slapped people or like there was <laughs> okay. mild like you would be humiliated if you failed a test well there we were had, a couple of chairs being thrown he yeah. never <laughs> threw anything or at least not that I saw but there was yeah, you know yeah. like we had to do a test every week and you had to play he would call a key so it would be like we're learning blues and all the flat keys you had to play a perfect song solo in any key he called over the blues with perfect voice leading in time. And if you made a single mistake, you failed and you had to play again the next day. So it was super hardcore and like, and it was very stressful and you had to do it in front of everybody in class. So there was that element of like kind of humiliation where if you messed up, you, but that's also the business, you know, you're playing on stage. Sometimes you have to do a concerto or something. Right. But the one element that you referenced just now about that professor, what's missing in my opinion from Fletcher is that 
you like him. Sometimes right. he's really charming. Sometimes he listens to you like you're the only one in the world, right? But Fletcher, they have that one scene where he's giving praise to Neiman at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But even in that scene, he's scary because he, he controls him with his arm. He puts his arm against the oh, wall yeah, and leans yeah. in. That's oh, a good yeah. kind of, in, That's really kind of well intimidating done. him. Well, mm-hmm. I feel like he's setting him up too. Like that, right. th- He's trying to build him up so that he can pop his bubble he's in the next scene. He's just playing with him, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one scene where you're kind of like, uh, oh, is is he nice? Maybe Fletcher's nice. And like, like that, I think at the very beginning of that scene, you're kind of like, yeah, what's going on? And then you're like, mm-hmm. no, that's he's just manipulating. The, him. But there has to be some praise. There was actually a um uh, a blog written about or a review about this movie from a renowned drum teacher called was that Steve um, Smith. Did Steve Peter Smith Erskine? Write oh, Peter Erskine. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he said that, and uh, he thought that you had to dole out about as much praise as criticism for mm-hmm. it, for it to work and you to get away Feels with it. Feels right. Yeah, I know the jazz world had all kinds of takes on this. I'm excited to go read them. I think I maybe read Erskine's thing. I remember reading. I thought it was Steve Smith, but it must have been Erskine, who is just two really good drummers. And um, and him just, this was forever ago when it came out, like talking about the count-offs. Like how he, Mm. like nobody counts off a band that way where he's like, three, four, go. (laughs) And they're like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Someone was saying, give give me four count, like, because you don't even know the tempo. (laughs) Yeah. Three, four, go. (laughs) It's funny because I think about Wit would sit there. I do this too because I directed a high school band for a while. And like, I would sit on a stool with a drumstick. And you hit the stool with the drumstick to get every, to give everybody time. But Wit would bring a right. Dr. Beat, like a metronome, into rehearsal and just sit right. there with it on. I mean, time is a really big part of a band. But you can't this is there's a weird thing there where he's like keeps expecting them to get a perfect tempo and like I've never and seen some that of the be call outs some of the call outs just make I don't know, yeah. to me they made no sense where he's like, mm-hmm. Okay, bar one oh five, the end of three. Like what? Oh yeah, huh, right. What? Yeah, yeah. Like the and oh, yeah, playing totally. is seven four, and he's like start at the end of five or something. Yeah. You're like, this, yeah. this, this, and, like, why are you? What do you mean? Even when right. he's like, okay, two fifteen. Give me that right now. Two fifteen. Right now. Two fifteen. Yeah. So backing us up, order note equals three hundred thirty. Yeah, I had a question about that. Like, can musicians just go? They have an intuitive sense for beats per minute. Like, oh, I know 250 beats per minute sounds like this. And they can just do it precisely. No, I've never seen that be a thing where that is like where you have to be that precise at 250 or something like most any drummer will be able to pretty much play 120 or 60 because you're doing it off of seconds and you just get it in your head like when you hear whatever 100 beats per minute I think that's like staying alive like there are certain tempos that's that you the, just the CPR tempo the CPR tempo you, you get <laughs> those right. in your head and you're like you're good to go but no it's not it's not I, not that I've ever seen I mean it could be that there are teachers that do that and maybe um, you know Chazelle's teacher would do that but that seems like a weird it's just kind of an arbitrary thing to yeah. expect Perfect someone pitch. to do Perfect pitch but for beats uh, Another right, question I tempo. had was when all those sequences where uh, Fletcher's saying mm, not quite my tempo you know are you dragging or are you ahead of it and I was wondering is a musician who's more trained than me um are, did they actually do it properly no. in the movie? Like, can you hear? Oh, he's actually a little dragging. Oh yeah, I can hear that. Uh, but too. it's it's yes, that it does happen. That whole sequence where he's making the drummers play and like rotate is this like amazingly done sequence that makes no musical sense. And then the whole <laughs> not my tempo thing. Not my tempo is such a good line. I've heard people say that forever, and now I've, the first time we saw it when I was watching, I started laughing just because it took me forever yeah. to see this movie. Um, <laughs> but that is a great line. But those that sequence doesn't make sense only because time in a band it would be such a weird big band where everybody in the band but the drummer starts playing one tempo and if the drummer comes in like 10 clicks too fast no one adjusts and it just like 
falls apart immediately. Like yeah. that just wouldn't happen. I, like it's like you have an intuitive sense of the timing of the people around you. And if you even if you didn't give them a good count in, if you were just like three, four, go, they'd play. And after one beat, they'd find it with one another. Yeah, like, yeah. No but one's gonna just yeah, be in a the, tunnel. They would. It would work relative to one another. But I guess if Fletcher is specifically looking for a particular beats per minute that he wants his rendition to be played at, right? Then that kind of makes sense, right? Maybe the takeaway is that he was being completely unrealistic and he. I guess so. Yeah. Though again, the movie never explains that. It never tells you. There's no one to give that very true perspective, like a voice in the movie, and so it just feels like, oh yeah, this is a reasonable thing to ask, but it like doesn't even make sense. Like, why would it would have helped? Yeah. Why would movie so much? I think to have that. One more Mm -hmm. question. This one's not music. This one's a movie. One of the earliest scenes with um, Neiman and his dad is in the movie theater, and they share a popcorn, and he. That he dumps the raisinets in the popcorn. Yes. And then his dad finds out that Andrew doesn't even like the raisinets in the popcorn. He eats around them. Uh, what's the point of showing that? What it's, were we, it's to, I think it's it's to, to tell show. us that his dad is a monster and that that's why he's all messed up. <laughs> I think it's just I a, like raisinets. It's like a semi-slick way of describing the relationship of yeah, the dad telling him what he wants and that Miles has just kind of like secretly gone under the radar and gotten what he wants separately mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I was confused by that though because it's like, all right, Miles goes along with what he what his dad wants. I feel like that paints Miles as kind of being a compassionate person, or well, certainly not. But he's <laughs> but he's not. So I I thought it was. I think I'm with you, James. Where it's just kind of confusing from a character standpoint. Yeah, it's Act One stuff, so it's supposed to be like how how, yeah. how he starts off before he changes, right. and he has to he kind of has to dehumanize as he goes towards greatness. So yeah. maybe it's trying to show him as just like a greatness. nice like a nicer person. What <laughs> green air quotes <laughs> around greatness. greatness. Yeah. <laughs> just, what'd you just guys so think about what'd you guys think about Neiman as a character? Because I didn't I mean, I don't know. I could have I feel like a, a character with a bit more humanity would have carried the film a little bit more for me. I was just mad at him the whole time. I'm like, like his, you're so dumb. Yeah, his starting point <laughs> isn't good enough. I think he, if you started off at a point where you like him and right. then he descends into this because of abuse, I think it makes a much more compelling film where you're attached to him and you care and you're like, wow, what a transition. Whereas at the beginning, he's this like loner, yeah. he has ambitious no kid anyway. He kind of has like a punk drunk love kind of vibe to him where you're like, ah, am I supposed to like him? How are you the drummer for a jazz band? You have no friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a sense that he doesn't yeah. like get any joy out of the music, which is... Yeah. Sort of similar a, to La La Land, to Ryan Gosling's character in that movie as well, that there's this kind of weird fixation on it that doesn't mm. actually cap, like, get it. Wow. It's so fun to play jazz drums, you guys. Like, I know. It's like the funnest thing in the world. Like, it's awesome. Jazz is and fun. It's supposed it's a to be great, fun. It's a great instrument. It's so great. And, like, you never get the sense that he is, like, catching the groove and, like, feeling it, no. which, you know... That's again, it kind of it keeps coming back to this idea of like, what is this movie really about? And it's really about this weird dynamic. I think he's great casting because this is another critic that I can't remember described him as having a face that looks like it can take a punch because he looks like a boxer. <laughs> looks uh, like he has punch. that kind of boxer's nose and he yeah. sort yeah. of doesn't make eye contact. And there is something to that, to like the really alpha aggressive abuser and the like he sees in this kid not actually talent. What he really sees is this like person who can take it like who can take Mm. his abuse and that's like it's really dark but that dynamic is like a real thing and is really interesting for the movie to get into it almost Mm. is a punt in the end when the movie is like no actually he's great and what he saw in him was the greatness that he needed to bring out because what it felt like to me the whole movie was was a way darker and more real thing of just like he saw someone who he could abuse and who would take it yeah every abuser finds their victims right Mm. because everyone else just leaves 
the victim of <laughs> right. the victim mentality they stay it's so funny because the movie sets up that ending as like this triumphant return where it's like all right he was abused by this guy and he finally escaped but then oh he got sucked back in and now he's being re- he's right. returning to the abuser well, but then he gets kicked out again and he's like you know what not this time he comes back and you know metaphorically slaps Fletcher in the right. face by playing amazingly but turns out Fletcher wanted this the Fletcher whole time. Fletcher won in the end anyway. Yeah. And that is he like got what he wanted. actually like verging up to, if not crossing over into like problematic territory when it comes yeah, to like depictions yeah. of abuse of like saying basically, well, in the end, you just need to go with it and like out dominate <laughs> your abuser yeah. and let yeah. them like do the thing they knew you could do all along. Like, like <laughs> yeah, man. I don't want to give too much credit to Fletcher. I don't think that he planned it all. Like he, no. he wanted oh, no to, way. he yeah. wanted to prank no. him. Yeah. But at the same time, he's in a no lose situation. Whereas if, if his plan succeeds, he He's humiliated this guy and disgraced him. But if his plan fails, well, then he's got a great drummer on his hands. Yeah, yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What was his plan once he left? What do you mean? Just going to play the rest of the songs without a drummer? That that's, was that's well, something if I, I was thought the, was unrealistic. I thought about that, though, because if I was in the band, I'd be so pissed off if my director yeah. sabotaged yeah. our yeah. whole performance and made me look like an asshole. I'm like the second yeah. tenor player or something. I'm like, I like canceled a bunch of gigs to come do <laughs> yeah. this. Like, and you're, yeah. this is all weird, like, psycho war between you and, like, the... <laughs> This like just high school freshman. Like, yeah. yeah, there was that was one of the parts where I was kind of like, this doesn't make sense to me because like, right. but maybe Fletcher just like, maybe he was disgraced in the industry and he's just like, all right, I got this thing, I, but you know there'll be more gigs down the line, but I'm gonna take this opportunity. To yeah, teach this no, he obviously had enough cachet to be in that competition with people who respected right. him, who wanted which to play like with him. we saw him play piano. I'm not really sure where that cachet comes. Yeah, from. I saw some criticism <laughs> of that scene because. His form is all weird when he's playing piano. He's just like, well, the composer of this movie isn't a jazz player. Yeah. And Fletcher's character complains about like Starbucks jazz and how crappy jazz is. Yeah. But then when you go into that scene where Fletcher's <laughs> playing, they're playing that kind of music. And it's like, that was, <laughs> he's playing no super one is going to watch that. Am I wrong in thinking that they were playing like a soft soft jazz version of caravan i don't remember i don't think they were playing caravan there it was some standard i i didn't i can't remember what it is off the top of my head but it was i think it was more like a tin pan alley song that scene was funny because it was i think it was meant to illustrate that as a player he's he's actually a very gentle touch which Mm. it did but right the music was fairly dull he never did anything remotely exciting. And I think it was because it might have even been that J.K. Simmons was really playing. It looked like he was essentially really playing the part and they couldn't have him doing a whole bunch of crazy shit because like right, then it right, would right. look obviously fake. But they didn't need to make him a virtuoso piano player, but there was something strange about that scene. And that, again, to go back to La La Land, like there's a whole thing in La La Land with jazz where like Ryan Gosling's character just views jazz as it needs to be like essentially that band, a group of like four or five guys on stage playing small group swing straight ahead jazz music from the 50s, which is like, there's so many jazz bands now that play like bananas cool music, but it doesn't sound like that anymore because the music Mm -hmm. has evolved. And like that again was just like, okay, here's what jazz is, I guess, to this guy. It's just this really old fashioned, like 70 year old thing that yeah nobody plays anymore because it's 70 years old the movie has a cool ending because it just ends on the music and by the way riley huh? this movie was sick with great speakers it was a real treat to, uh, <laughs> oh yeah great assembles. sounding music great score i mean all the way they use drums like to to emphasize how stressful it all was really, really so that hurt. so that's how it ends but i wonder if i would have been more satisfied or at least it would have been more wholesome if there was a, like a, a mid credit scene one additional scene where he says to fletcher like like Fletcher's like, okay, great, you're good now. You can play with me. And he's like, but I'm not going to. They could have implied that. I think like the ending is 
is great. I mean, it's like a bravura ending. Like, to just be like, bam, whiplash, bam. game over. Like, it's yeah. so good, even though when you stop and think about it, it's, like, frustrating in all these ways. And for the reasons you said, I think, Riley, you were saying this, that, like, none of, none of that made sense. That's, I think, why people read it as a dream sequence, almost. Like, mm. the fact that the band wasn't, like, what are we going to do now we don't have yeah. a drummer? Like You're on your own, but Right. Even with all the logical leaps the movie makes, that whole thing is, like, a, maybe a bridge too far and feels unbelievable. Which then, if you see it as a dream sequence, okay... And the ending is so like a mid-credit sequence would undo such a great uh, ending. Even though, like, I don't know I, what you do. It's like you have to end it that way, but it is a flawed ending. So I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just my last note that I wrote for this movie is this movie is a tragedy because up until that moment, you're kind of like, what's gonna happen? Is he gonna succeed? Mm-hmm. Is is he gonna win? Is he gonna not be crazy? Blah blah. blah. And then it just ends with them both kind of achieving this orgasmic uh yeah, very success of like mm-hmm. this dark success and i'm like okay it's a tragedy i think i was just trying to decide up until that point what mm-hmm. kind of movie yeah it was. and a- another um factor that adds to that point is the fact that he calls up his ex-girlfriend to join that come to the show yeah and she's like that that's over you that know? was she's that moved was on like, by now so. that was also yeah. like a really good hallmark of abuse of people who are abused where like once they get any sort of approval from their abuser they are on top of the world yeah They're like yeah. oh man because the only times i think i think the only times that he goes out of his way to contact her the first time he asks her out is right mm-hmm. after he was praised by fletcher and then the second time he calls her is after He's like, oh, I'm getting this gig again with Fletcher. Yeah. He loves me. There's again. like the one time he's happy on the bus where he gets the text from her and it's clearly that their relationship is kind of proceeding and he just had a great thing where he's like ready to play. And I think he just right. got promoted back into the drum chair or something. And he's like yeah. happy for a second. And yeah, it's very yeah. twisted and, and convincing. Like that's very well done. Man, as gruff as gruff as J.K. Simmons is, I don't think I've ever actually been scared of him until I watched this movie. Yeah, he's scary. Like, He's like mostly comedic with his like, rah, rah, I'm just mm-hmm. yelling it like this, blah, blah, blah. But in this one, I was like, oh my, oh no, mm-hmm. please don't look at me. <laughs> no eye contact. It was actually yeah, scary. He's a great villain. Even from like the first couple scenes, like when he's directing the studio band and Miles is looking in and he just like catches the eye. I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you scary. expect like a horror stinger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. It's mm-hmm. like the alien from yeah. Alien. <laughs> 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 Yeah, just sit Jake Simmons right there at the window. <laughs> <laughs> he like pops up. Oh man. Oh man. Guys, I have the most important question about this movie, and this will decide if I like this movie oh, or I don't. God, here it is. What happened to the folder? Oh yeah. I, oh. I actually had that in my notes. I was like, but what, what happened to the happen? folder? <laughs> he looks away for about like six seconds. So like mm-hmm. someone had to have taken it. Like who took mm-hmm. it? Maybe Fletcher. It was a janitor. There should no. That's the after the credit scene. There's a janitor <laughs> with the There's folder. Like, like, like practicing the whiplash part. Like, <laughs> and he's like he's like killing it. Like yeah, getting really good. Oh, Just like that. those guys in Iron Man that get the plans and they're trying to rebuild the suit. <laughs> yeah, I I like that they don't answer that question. I was wondering if it was going to wind up being like oh like yeah Fletcher took it to see if if what he could do. Um, and I, I get, it was believable that the one guy was like, keep your hands off my fucking music like that. Yeah, yeah that, that was good. Of, yeah. And it was like a nice little illustration of the thing we talked about earlier, like how they're all such assholes to one another because that's their culture. Yeah. But it was a little, I mean, it was kind of a plot contrivance that it happened at all. 
And yeah. it was just one of those nightmare scenarios that they just kept going out of their way to set up. I mean, that scenario of like, <laughs> don't lose your music. And then you go and you're like, just going to get a drink. Oh, no. And then your music is gone and you have to like tell. Ah. The, and yeah, um, that it worked. It ran and off then by itself. Probably better than that. They didn't explain it. But I, I was yeah. left asking the same question. Yeah. Those, that always bothers me in movies when something happens and you know it's just because they, they wanted it. it to happen for the plot. Right. Like, they could have made it more natural, but the, the, well, the, same the way time, they executed has, it, though. They wanted it to yeah. be blameless, though. They didn't want Nyman, Neiman to be incompetent in that way and actually have right. lost it. And I think it also works, though, because the rest of the movie has such a, th- this dreamlike quality. Where it's like, okay, we don't know what happened. All we know is that something horrible happened and we can't explain it because yeah. jazz isn't like this in real life. I agree. <laughs> and it's fine. because like when you have the dream, like I lit- I mean, I seriously have dreams, like things that happen in this movie a lot, like where I'm like, I'm back in high school, but I don't have my music. And when you have those dreams, there's never a reason that it happened. You just don't have your music. It isn't like mm. there's a part of the dream where you forgot your music at home. You're already there and you just don't have your music. Yeah. And like the, the scenario is already unfolding. Oh, and that man. I think... Also, like the way that he looks at it and it snaps to the thing, then it snaps again. This is great editing. It snaps to the folder, snaps to him, snaps back and it's gone is kind of like I took it as like a representation of how it felt to him, even though it may not have been what actually happened. Because if you've ever lost something, it's kind of how it feels in your memory. You're like, well, I know I had it and I set it down and it's not there. Clearly something happened and maybe you usually you picked it up and like put it in another room and forgot about it or something yeah. You know what I mean? But I like the way you described this early on as like a specific horror film for music It really is like it it, it really really is the like I was laughing by the stick. end I was like the only thing that didn't happen was he was on stage like naked <laughs> like that's yeah, yeah. That's all that yeah. didn't happen in this movie. Yeah, he played so hard at the end there shirt could have just ripped off right, I would have right. allowed it <laughs> <He's> <laughs> just just like, <laughs> Shirt ripped <laughs> Oh man well, thanks a lot for joining us today. I think we beat the hell out of this one. Yeah. Hey. 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 My pleasure. I'm stop. happy to monologue. I hope I didn't monologue too much about jazz, but oh, I'm no. happy to monologue about jazz anytime. <laughs> no, it was great to pick your brain and get your expertise uh, on the podcast. It was good to have so, a reason to watch this movie. I've wanted to watch it for a long time just because, like, obviously I should have seen this when it came out and I just sort of didn't. So it was I nice, to, nice to get to watch it. I you hadn't seen it. That's insane that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I, eventually I started just putting it off because I was like, well, I know I'm going to have all these complicated feelings about it. And I know it's <laughs> I'm probably going to get invited to a podcast. I'll have an excuse. Yeah. At, right. at some well, point. Kind of, yeah, I guess at some point <laughs> I was like, I'm sure at some point I'll get to go on a really cool movie podcast and talk about Whiplash. Which, hey, really cool. Oh, just that's got to nice. do. This was a blast. Well, everybody, if you enjoyed listening to Kirk Hamilton, you want to hear more of his nice, wholesome voice and hear him not swear, then you can go and listen <laughs> to Strong Songs where he picks apart and educates you on all things music. Or so you can good. check out some gaming stuff because you're probably a gamer if you're listening to this. <laughs> and he's on Triple Click. That's awesome. Yeah, listen to Triple uh, if, Click. Listen to Strong Songs. And if you want to contact us, we are at Carpool Critics on Twitter. And you can email us at carpoolcriticspodcast at gmail.com. And guess what we're doing next week? Huh? I said guess. I don't know either. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Poll time? What is that? Is that a stripper movie? <laughs> <laughs> We're watching Poll Time. Biopic about... 10,000 hours on the pole. <laughs> I, no idea. Give us your suggestions on, on Twitter. and and Oh, also, give us a review of our podcast because that helps us. And we'd like to be helped. We need all the help we can get. Please. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Kirk. Bye. Thank you. Love you.